Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. All right, folks, I've decided the time has come. <clears throat> the time has come. We, I've been putting it off for a long, long time. The NFL draft is April the 28th through 30th, which is what, five weeks away? Like, that's not that long, five weeks. Uh, it's five weeks away. So the time has come. We will begin. We've kind of had little trickles of it here and there, like yesterday when Manny called. But the time has come. We're going to begin looking at the NFL draft. Uh, obviously, we're going to, in general, obviously, we're going to start from a Saints perspective. But, but um, like everything on this show, uh, from a Saints perspective, you know, just to give you another example of how I think, my wife, I mean, every almost everything's from a Saints perspective. For me, our Astros. Um, my wife, she likes watching these... Um, uh, I don't know what you call them, disaster shows like tornadoes rip up the community and the ground earthquakes and all. I don't I don't know why she likes that. But anyway, last night when I got home, she was watching the end of uh, what's that movie with The Rock, San Andreas, where they, you know, the, there's an earthquake and all kind of calamity on the flake coast. And, of course, my first thought was, man, I hope when the Saints go play the Cheaters next year, that's what this community looks like once the Saints leave, you know, that, that, that metaphorically. And so that's kind of how I think. I can watch a movie about an earthquake, and it, it, I, I can bring the Saints to it. So we're going to do – so we're certainly going to do that with the NFL draft. Before we get started, though, because I haven't actually done this yet, Hannah, can you help us with – the news with the weather update because I, I don't I don't I'm not prepared yet to do that. <laughs> uh, there is multiple advisories for the is a wind advisory and a flood warning advisory until seven o'clock tonight. There is also uh, most most schools are canceled. They just updated about an hour and some change ago that uh, UL actually has canceled classes. Uh, McNeese has canceled classes. They have pushed back the LSU versus Tech game to tomorrow because of the weather, as well for the Cajuns versus Nichols. Nichols. They will be pushed back to tomorrow, and then they canceled the McNeese versus uh, Stephen A. Austin completely. So that game will even be postponed. Uh, They also have many schools are closed around Lafayette Parish, Bangley Parish. Yes, lots, they've posted a bunch of schools uh, last night. They posted about 7, 8 o'clock last night. They posted they were going to cancel schools for, you know, K through 12. And then they just canceled UL and Magnese as well. So, Man. be safe. Don't go anywhere if you don't need to. <laughs> Pas bon. I mean, uh, they were telling me out, outside on the way in, like you said, there's um, 
flood warnings till seven and tornado warnings till like two or three and mm -hmm. might even hail. Yes, it was said that earlier there may be hail. Um, there, <clears throat> it, sh it was showing about last night around seven, eight o'clock. It was showing supposed to hit for rain about 4 a.m. this morning. It still hasn't hit as of now. I haven't been outside since four o'clock this morning <coughs> well, it's not, it hasn't started here but, but supposedly uh, it's almost an opelousas so yeah we should be getting it by the time i get off the air here at 11 yeah it probably should it be will hitting, have hit yeah they said earlier a couple hours so probably around 11 o'clock to one probably where it should start hitting so if you were on the road at that point i mean if you did not bring lunch i, I don't know what to tell you yeah <laughs> all right so we'll try to uh, keep remind you to be prepared for the bad weather that's coming in. All right. So for those of you who are staying in, you might get a chance to uh, get you going with the NFL draft. And I've got to start off with this. I was reading, you know, I, I've read, I don't know, handful of maybe a little bit more than a handful uh, of mock drafts just to kind of see what people are thinking. And I got to tell you, uh, it, it, it seems like a very unpredictable draft because overall what most of the experts are saying is not a good draft. And, and what I wonder, because there's so many QWs everywhere we go. I mean, everyone's just a QW now. And for those of you, that's a new term that I've started saying of late. Uh, QW is quarterback worshiper. And so I'm wondering if, oh, this is a weak draft just means that it's a bad quarterback draft. Well, I guess we'll see in time. We'll see four or five years from now. In other words, all that all everyone cares about is the quarterback position. So if it's a weak quarterback draft, then that means it's a weak draft. I don't know that, but we'll, we'll see in four or five years if that's the case. So um, it seems, though, that from the mock drafts that I've seen, there is not a consensus of opinion. And we'll do, I'll give you some details or some examples of that as we get going. But... I, I was reading one yesterday, and I, and I was going down pick by pick and reading the little paragraphs that the guy was saying, and I was like, man, this guy is the best I've heard so far. Like, his, I like his details. I like the, what he's saying, and it all makes sense. And I get down to the Saints, and he has the Saints picking a quarterback, and I said, this guy's an idiot. I mean, folks, when is anyone going to learn I guess I get the national guys being idiots because like I've like I say all the time, the national guys, they don't know anything about the New Orleans Saints. Now, they're not in an ESPN division and they're not like, you know, the Rams or, you know, they know a little bit about those high pro. They don't know anything. As Jim would say, they don't know diddly poo about the New Orleans Saints. Nothing. Nothing. Nada. Kaput. Nothing. And so it, so I, I get it, it, it amazes me how stupid they are about the Saints um, nationally. But, but, it, but it frustrates me when people locally say that the Saints need to draft a quarterback. I've been trying to fight y'all off from drafting a quarterback, you know, for forever. 
Folks, the Saints, I'll say it again. We said it many times. Understand this. The Saints have not drafted a quarterback in the first or second round since Archie Manning in 1971. I'm not great at math, but that's a long time ago. I was I was actually, I wasn't even five yet. I was four years old the last time the Saints drafted a quarterback in the first or second round. Not just the first round, the first or second round. The Saints are not going to use the 18th pick of the first round to pick a quarterback, especially in an awful quarterback draft. I saw one this morning that had the Lions picking Malik Willis of Liberty at two. There is not one first round. Now, I'm not saying none of them are going to pick, get picked in the first round. There is not one first round player, a quarterback. I don't even think there's a second round quarterback in this draft. Not even a second-round talent at quarterback in this draft. Now, some are going to get picked because they're quarterbacks because we live in a country of QWs. But these guys are not good. Don't even think about it. If you're looking at a mock draft and someone says the Saints are going to pick quarterbacks, say the guy doesn't know anything about the Saints and move on to a different subject. They're not picking a quarterback. Now, I get that whenever that was, three or four years ago, all reports are that when the Saints picked that's day one at 11, that they were going to pick Patrick Mahomes at 11 that year. That that they were infatuated with, like a lot of people, they saw his talent. You know, we've most of us have seen his talent by now. Um, and, you know, Theoretically, he would be the Saints quarterback right now. So I guess that's the one exception to these 50-something years of um, five decades of it's not going to happen, folks. So we're not going to do a lot of discussion over the next five weeks about the Saints picking a quarterback. First of all, it would be stupid to do. And and second of all, it's not going to happen. So we're not going to talk about that. But. There are several, there are two positions that stick out. The good thing is the two positions that most people think the Saints should pick, other than this this ignorant quarterback, pick a quarterback crowd. Again, it doesn't mean that the people are ignorant. It means that their opinion is ignorant on that subject. It's an ignorant statement to say the Saints are going to pick a quarterback at 18. That's not going to happen. So, and if it does, it's the, it'll be the worst pick in the history of the franchise. That That is just stupid. Pick a quarterback at 18 ever. Uh, especially this year with an awful quarterback crop. So that's not happening. All right, before we move on, as we had to start with that, get that out the way. If we're going to, you know, if we're going to do five weeks, we're starting five weeks of pretty big NFL draft talk. Um we had to get that established. All right, before we take our first time out, let's do this. We'll take a, we'll go to the game hotline and talk to where in the world have you been for the last week? Paul 
volunteering everywhere. Worn out. I'm driving into this soup now, though. I'm in Jennings. It's just starting to drizzle, so pray for me. Heading to Fort Arthur, so I'll be driving through this line of, of nastiness. Are you going to uh, get yeah, on the other side of it, maybe? Say again? Are you going to be able to get on the other side of it? I should be, actually. The good news about it is it <laughs> looks like a thin line. It's just going to be nasty, but because I'm driving into it, and it's moving pretty quickly, it, I'm, I'm assuming it'll be about a half hour of nastiness, and I'll come out on the backside in real nice weather. You just got to get through it. All right, so we only have a minute or so. Tell me uh, where you are and where the Saints are. Well, uh, where I'm at, I agree with you. We still don't know how enamored that uh, Allen is with Ian Book. And with Winston coming off a torn ACL, they're going to probably have to keep Simeon around. So quarterback, there's just not room for one. So if we pick one, it's kind of – now that doesn't mean if one falls in the second round, they take a, a flyer on one, but – I agree. I think first round, I mean, I'm leaning receiver. There's going to be some pretty good receivers in the middle of the draft. I used to hate rookie wide receivers, but college game has changed so much. It's it's not uncommon now for these receivers to step in as rookies and perform. So I just think it's still our biggest area need. We'll see. It's, it's hard to figure out at 18, and a lot's going to change between now and then. You'll have pro days and rumors so people flying up and down the, the board so at, at this point it's kind of senseless to even try and figure out who we're going to pick you go with a position and stick with it but the offensive lineman you can never go wrong except with Ruiz apparently but I still don't know why they picked the center when we had a, a Pro Bowl center already but anyway uh, you saw the text I sent you about the, the, the biggest cat hit uh, no Ryan. Austin the Falcons, $40 million this year, and he's not even there. Oh, yeah. That's pretty – that's brutal. I had a buddy of mine when that trade was made, the first thing he said, Cam Jordan instantly looked at the schedule to see if the Saints were playing the Colts. So, uh, I mean, that's uh, – Matt's probably glad to be out of the division with Cam in it. No, it's instead crazy, instead the Saints get to play the Cleveland Browns. Oh. It's, it's just – it's the least – They've lost their minds, dude. It's, uh, I, I mean, for Deshaun to get the contract he got with the cloud hanging over his head is really pretty crazy. I'm curious to see who's going to take a flyer on Baker now. But uh, I'm glad we signed Winston, Kev. I think for the price we got him, I, I still think he's a capable quarterback. I'm more worried about Kamara missing a bunch of games than Winston at quarterback. But uh, – they're slow. We've, we've freed up a bunch of cap space. Don't be shocked if they end up re-signing Armstead, which was a long shot or of improbability of just a month ago. But I think they got the room to make that happen if they really want to now. And he's the top-rated free agent available on the board right now in most people's eyes. So, I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's getting to be that time of year. I, I, it's hard to, to guess at 18 what's going to happen. But I agree, which I think they're nuts if they – even though there might be a decent quarterback at 18, I think we got bigger areas of need. There's not a second-round quarterback in this draft, so no, that, that has no chance of happening. But all right, before, I, I just – Before uh, you go, I'm just curious. When you were four and the Saints picked Archie, did you call them idiots? <laughs> well, no, I didn't, I didn't understand about the draft. I mean, the draft wasn't even really – 
I mean, people didn't even talk about the draft way back then. I'm sure they talked about Archie because, you know, he played at Ole Miss in the region against LSU and all. But, I mean, people didn't start talking about the draft till the early 80s. Well, and the games changed. With free yeah. agency, the draft isn't nearly as important, is it? The cap's more important from a cap. I mean, the draft's more important from a cap management standpoint now than it is of the ability to obtain talent as evidence that Cleveland was willing to give up three first rounders to get a quarterback. Yeah, I still think I mean, it's important to draft. Capital, well, it's, 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 the, the draft allows you to manage your cap because you get cheap players for four to five years. And right. that's where I think it's going to handcuff some of these teams that are breaking the bank saying, I mean, $50 million guaranteed for quarterbacks for five years. It's, why play? You give me a quarter billion dollars, dude. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to fake an injury and be on the sideline holding a clipboard for two or three years. It's just nuts. It, 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 it is crazy. Well, I, we got to get to a break. Thanks for the call. Stay safe, Joey. Appreciate the call. Thank you, brother. Y'all pray for me. All right. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Genius. Genius. Noun. The New Orleans Saints' longtime head coach who often struggles with game management. But since Kevin lost a bet to a caller, the coach is now referred to as a genius. Also known as Sean Payton. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. The game hotline is 706-0111-706-0111. Want to tell you about the ultimate crawfish boil. Brought to you by JJ Exterminating, Kramer Equipment, and Cody's Crawfish. You could win uh, two sacks of live crawfish. A pot, a burner, an ice chest, a tumbler, chairs, a $500 Visa gift card, and tickets to an Astro game. And to become eligible to win this incredible prize, all you got to do is go to the game, join the rewards the rewards club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. That would put you in position to maybe win the ultimate crawfish ball brought to you by JJ Exterminating Kramer Equipment. And Cody's Crawfish and the game, 103.7 Lafayette or 1041 Lake Charles. All right. Think about this. Baker Mayfield, who was the number one pick in the draft, what, three or four years ago, became available, theoretically. The Falcons, in desperate need of a quarterback, they just traded their longtime, should have been Super Bowl winning quarterback. Um, to the Colts, where Baker, so say, wanted to go, they said, well, who are we going to replace Matt Ryan with? Baker Mayfield's available. Well, no, I think we'll go get a backup for some team. Let's go sign a backup for some team to be our quarterback for next year. What do we want a punk like Baker Mayfield for? 
The Colts, who just got rid of a quarterback that's another program discarded, the last thing they wanted was to get another quarterback with a bigger head than his talent level says. With a bigger head than his talent level says to come be our quarterback. So the coach didn't want any any part of him either. I don't have any idea where he's going to go. You know, the one that place that makes the most sense is just send him to the Texans. Why didn't why wasn't he just part of the Texans trade? Maybe they're sold on Davis Mills. There are some people that think Davis Mills, Davis Mills is probably going to end up to be better than Baker Mayfield. Now, there's still some time to prove that, but Baker Mayfield. They got people yesterday who were still trying to get Baker Mayfield to come to the Saints. It's not happening. Why would anyone want Baker Mayfield? Again, he's about a third or fourth round talent guy. It's what he is. It's what he's always been. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go to the Super Bowl with someone like that. You can if you have a great team. The problem is, do, will anybody on your team like this guy? I think he is, um, I think he's kind of worn out his, his welcome in the league. And, and, I mean, he'll play somewhere eventually. I'm not saying he won't play. I'm just saying, like, pe- people are tired of his act. You're not that good, Cat. Your head is way bigger than your talent level. And then you cry all the time, and you're always getting in fights with people. Not physically necessarily, but just he's all he's got. He don't like this guy, and he don't like that guy. Oh, that guy, get out of here. He's not a leader. Baker Mayfield. But anyway, all right, getting back to the Saints draft. Um, as we begin this process, we've talked about wide receivers, offensive tackle. There's another position that I want to just float out there. Not saying I'm adamant that the Saints should pick or need to pick but I'm just going to float this out there. And the main reason I thought about it was I saw a mock draft yesterday that had this guy who I've seen some mock drafts have in the top five. I, I saw that he he had, he had was projected to maybe slip all the way to 15. And I'm thinking when you're at 18, 15 is not that far away if that happens. I mean, chances are you go in the first 10 picks, but maybe not because it's a position that rarely goes in the top 10. And it's one of my two favorite positions on a football team. Safety. Safety. Here's what I'm thinking. The Saints did pick up a safety in Marcus May who has an injured history and apparently is going to get suspended. I'm worried that Malcolm Jenkins is going to retire at any moment, whether it's this year or next year. I think Malcolm Jenkins is very close to retirement. It wouldn't shock me if next week Malcolm Jenkins says, I retire. I hope he doesn't, but it wouldn't shock me. And you just lost Marcus Williams to the Ravens in free agency. This cat, Kyle Hamilton, from Notre Dame, 
Now, those of you who have been listening to me for a long time are probably thinking, what? What? For a long time, I kind of, you know, I, I base a lot of my opinions on historical trends. And I, I haven't officially ever really taken this team off the list. For a long time, I wanted no part of any Michigan players, no part of any Penn State players, and no part of any Notre Dame players. Because, you know, forever, like every time the Saints picked one, they, they were bust. And you know what? We need to reinvestigate that with the whole Cesar Ruiz thing. I gave him a serious um, pass when the Saints drafted Cesar Ruiz. Because for decades, I'm like, you do not ever pick anyone, draft anyone from Michigan, Penn State, or Notre Dame. And and here we go. Two years ago, they picked Caesar Reese, and he hasn't done very well, which kind of lends more credence to that theory that I've kind of put on the shelf that maybe we need to come back and 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 bring back on that list. Georgia was seriously on the probation list there for a while after Jonathan Sullivan. Um, and so. Kyle Hamilton, 6'4", 220, intrigues me. He sounds more like a strong safety than a free safety, so I wonder if he really could play free long-term. But I, I really like safeties. And the other safety is Daxon Hill from Michigan. <laughs> so while, I want, while I'm intrigued by the safety, kind of the dark horse position, for the Saints in the first round. Like, I, I got I to gotta believe, it would not shock me at all, if the Saints had Hill from Michigan or Hamilton from Notre Dame ranked pretty high. Now, Hamilton's more of a big physical strong safety so sort, and Hill's more of a speed guy that some people think could even play cornerback. So chances are neither one, well, I think Hill could be there. I don't think Hamilton will be there. But... Michigan and Notre Dame kind of scare me away, I got to tell you. But I'm just saying that's a that's an interesting dark horse position for the Saints in the first round. All right, we're going to do this. We'll take a timeout. And I was just introducing the NFL draft. We'll get back to it in the next hour. But for now, we're going to do, do a take a timeout, come back, have a conversation with UL head baseball coach Matt Deggs. Remember, the Cajuns are not playing today. They're playing at Nichols tomorrow uh, to try to get away from the weather. And then they will be hosting South Alabama in a humongous Sunbelt Conference weekend series at Russo Park. We'll be back on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We have with us UL baseball coach Matt Deggs uh, coming off a disappointing weekend in the Sunbelt Conference opener. 
Uh, not not all the play was disappointing, but certainly uh, the result was. And so we talked. We've been talking for a while, Coach. That um, you know how tough the schedule was early on, and and y'all kind of kept your head above water. Um, you know, through it. But the problem is, it doesn't get any easier once conference play starts. Troy's really good. Uh, South Alabama's really good. Georgia Southern is good, and so is Texas State down the road. Yeah, I mean, everybody's good in, in college baseball now. Just look at the scores, and, and you're going to realize that real quick, is if you don't play good, you're going to get beat. And it's so momentum-driven. You've got to be strong enough to stop the tide and turn it back the other way and just never were able to capture that this weekend. And, and they had momentum on us and just kind of rode that uh, downhill on us, and, and we didn't do a very good job of stopping that. And so, like you said, it was a disappointing weekend, not the start that we wanted to get off to uh, by any stretch. But like I told the team and told Scotty just a minute ago, is it's 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 not a three-game season. It's a 30-game season. And, uh, you know, no, that's just the first weekend. There's going to be a lot of regional teams that lost two out of three this weekend or got swept. It's what you decide to do with it moving forward. And we've got good enough players. Uh, we've got what it takes to, to be very, very successful. And I know when we look back at the body of work of this team, we're going to be. You know, one of the, you know, going on the road, you know, you want to win every game. But there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, you're going to get beat two out of three here and there. And obviously you had a you had a game with, with a three-run lead and it didn't happen and kind of, um, you know, the the bullpen issue comes up. Are you in a different place in terms of what you, who you're confident in, what's going, you know, what what's the inner workings of the bullpen and you were a week ago? Or are you in the same position, do you think? No, I think we've got to, we've got to continue to, to work to get better, obviously, but get the right guys in the right spots uh, more than anything. But there's just been inconsistencies, and it's not just with the bullpen or anywhere else. It's it's all over the field, and uh, you know there's a couple, two or three spots that have been very, very consistent. But uh, you know there's there's others that that haven't been or haven't been up to the standard of what they're capable of playing. And uh, you know the 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 way that we play, I mean, it's got to go pitching and the catching and the defense, and and you build momentum off of that and build confidence off that and uh, that flows into your offense but uh, when when you're very very generous and you you just hand it back over to the offense that's a good way to clog everything up and that's what you've seen you know half the time this year and so uh, that that can be worked out there's no doubt about that and we've got the personnel and the coaching staff to do it and you know we're 19 games in to a you know what? I would love to be a seventy-game season, but it's going to have to play itself out. Uh, so we're about a third of the way through, and you know the good news about this is we can still get better and better and better. Uh, and so there's no panic or anything like that. Like that, I I, I love this team. I believe in them. Uh, if I'm disappointed in anybody, it's in myself because we've got good enough players, and uh, you know so that's on me. And, but I'm going to keep working and, and keep believing and, and keep demanding and, and uh, expecting things to turn around and us go on a long winning streak at some point. 
Dylan Toy pitched well over the weekend. I mean, he he had a good outing. How, how kind of take us behind the scenes a little bit? Like sometimes we we as a as a media and as fans, and I guess even as coaches and players, sometimes we get real result oriented. But sometimes, you know, a guy can have a rough outing, and some of it has to do with an t- extra tight strike zone, or some of it has to do with a bloop that just happens to fall, or a swinging bunt. What what goes into behind the scenes a coaching staff looking at a an outing and saying? In other words, do I trust the good outing or do I trust the bad outing as far as who that pitcher is moving forward? What goes behind a coach making that decision? Well, I think a lot of it's, you know, track record and what you've seen previous to that, right? And I think that's, you know, that's how you build trust is through preparation and practice and then what you've seen in games and uh, what you believe can happen. Uh, you know, were the pitches competitive or, you know, were they arm side high messes? Were we spiking fastballs? You know, what did it look like? And so uh, what what the average everyday person's watching is not going to be the same thing that we're watching. And, uh, you know, and you're not going to understand the track record or the history that you might have. So uh, just to answer your question, Kevin, I mean, it's there's a, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff too. And, a lot of stuff hidden in, in, in plain sight. I mean, uh, if I'm if I'm messing fastballs arm side and high, that's not that's just not competitive. Or I'm spiking a break or a fastball in the dirt when I'm supposed to be going in, that's not going to be competitive. But like you said, if I'm uh, you know yanking a pitch here or, or there and it's I've got great hand speed and great intent, uh, that's a different ball game. That's a different story. One of the things, you know, at this point, people are saying, okay, is this team what it is, what it is? And you're saying no. And so some of the things in my mind that um, that could where this team a month from now could be much better. Obviously, one of them is getting your everyday center fielder, Marshawg, back. What about LaFleur? What kind of a difference maker could he be down the road if he becomes available? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, we've got to get healthy, though. Uh, we've got one of the best athletes, if not the best athlete, not only on our team, but anywhere, you know, still getting over a, a oblique pull. And, uh, you know, Trey is, is you know, still injured. And so uh, we'll, we'll also get Marshall back at some point out of left-handed option out of the pen, I think late April, early May. So, yeah, I mean, Look, all the, you know, the discussion or talk, whatever, that's for, you know, that's for people that follow you. It's not for us to pay attention to. We know, uh, we know what we're capable of and, and, uh, you know, we know what our mission is and what our vision is and, uh, everything is in our hands. You know, we've played three games of a 30 game, uh, conference schedule. I don't think they're passing anything out this weekend. So, uh, I know how this team feels about each other. I know the character in it and how much the coaching staff believes in them and how hard our coaches work. Uh, There's no reason why we wouldn't wind up getting this thing going. All right. One of the things that that has taken place in, you know, well, it's been a couple weeks now. We've seen that Heath Hood is is kind of starting to meet match up with what we heard about him. Warner Rincona seems like he's starting to get – um, you know, in, in somewhat of a groove, <coughs> excuse me, offensively. 
Is there anybody else who, who you think feel like is making progress, even though the the overall team result hasn't been the what you wanted? Well, Julian Brock, you know, has become a man amongst boys at the catching position. He's been the best catcher, you know, out of every team we've played. Julian's best, and uh, very very proud of him. Like you said, Warner's a ball player, and and just uh, you know, really really figuring it out. And great defender. Uh, Debo Kyle DeBarge is just a great <coughs> player that that continues to put us in great positions, both offensively and defensively. Uh, you know, Heath Hood can really hit, and that's coming on. I love the way Veyon plays. Uh, Kemple has had a really, really solid season so far uh, through 19 games, and of course, so is Rocco. Uh, there's a lot of positives. We're just working to put it all together. Now. If and when, and hopefully more shock comes back soon, where, where does – because Veyon, like you said, kind of is, I think, done very well, uh, in, in, you know, filling in there. W- where does his role become uh, when more shock comes back? Oh, I don't think that's going to affect Veyon at all. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's going to affect somebody, but we got to play better on the infield. And, uh, you know, the outfield is a strength of ours. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's we know the guys that should be out there, but you gotta, you've got to you got to be personally responsible for that. And uh, you've, you have to uh, be able to make the plays and have quality at bats in order to stay out there. If not, then we've got to move things around. Chipper Menard is is one of those pitchers who at times in recent weeks has looked really good. Uh, you know, sometimes you're going to give up a solo homer. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily mean you had a, an all, this awful outing or anything, but wh- where is he in his progress and how much of a solution could he be down the road? Well, most certainly. I mean, if he continues to build off the progress that he had against McNeese and, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's uh, not what you want to see in the eighth there the other day, but uh, it was challenging the strike zone. Uh, Chipper's biggest thing is if he can put uh, the three, four pitches that he has uh, in the strike zone, he's going to be very, very effective. Like you said, you're going to give up some stuff sometimes, uh, but that's part of it. It's better than walking guys. So um, right now I saw Connor Higgs got a few at-bats. It's got to be difficult uh, to kind of when you're trying to win and you're playing really tough teams every game that you play that can beat you um, to do some experimenting. But I'm sure he's one of them guys like you kind of like to get going. It's got to be difficult to, to give guys enough at bat to where you can kind of get a feel for them, and yet they're not everyday players. Yeah, I think you've got to pick and choose your spots. I think lefties were hitting 417 against the kids going into yesterday. Uh, the guy we were facing. And so uh, I felt like that would be a good opportunity to get him out there. And I thought his first at bat was great. Uh, Winds up getting an infield knock. And, uh, you know, for his first career hit, he's got a ton of potential. And, you know, one one area that we need another left-handed bat to step up. And uh, just because we're so right-handed dominant, which is, is fine. But... You also need, you know, a couple two to three left-handed bats in there that can offset things. 
All right, Coach. We, we are all looking forward to it's been a great rivalry for a long time, going back decades, uh, South Alabama and the Cajuns. So we look forward to that great series at Russo Park this weekend. And uh, you, you get a couple wins there, and it all, it all, the whole storyline changes. So <laughs> that, 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 that's Never just the way baseball day, works. Man. All right, Coach, we appreciate your time, and good luck all to right, you. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. All right. All right, UL head baseball coach Matt Deggs will be right back on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Are you fluent in footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Grinky Dinky Dong. Grinky Dinky Dong. Noun. A quirky Cy Young Award winner with a funny name for the Houston Astros. Also known as Zach Grinky. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Want to remind you, severe weather on the way. It could be here any minute now. It could be. We can't. We're kind of in the studio. I can't really tell what's going on outside. But from now until about 7 o'clock, be very, very careful. Uh, the National Weather Service saying winds could get up to 60 miles an hour. We've got a tornado watch till 2. We've got a wind advisory and a flood advisory till 7 as of now. And so all afternoon, the rest of the morning and all afternoon, be very, very careful. Severe weather is here in some parts of Acadiana already and will be where you are real soon if it's not already here. So be very careful. All right, one of the things that I meant to mention yesterday, and we'll get back to the NFL draft a little bit in the second hour, uh, the first segment in the last couple segments of, of, the, of the second hour. But one of the things that I heard someone say over the weekend that makes sense to me. Now, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just saying it made sense to me. Those of you who... I followed the whole Deshaun Watson thing, especially the contract that he signed with the Browns. They basically made that first year to to help Deshaun Watson, trying to circumvent the financial uh, losses that he could incur because of his suspension that's expected this year. You know, people are speculating six, maybe eight games, somewhere in that category, somewhere along that line. And so they made his salary $1 million this year. Now, of course, I guess they could always change it. But what I heard someone say over the weekend, because the Browns did that, did that circumvention, what the NFL should do is not suspend him this year. Wait till next year to suspend him. And, you know, I guess they, I, I don't know. It made sense to me. In other words, make him have to pay more of a financial price for his suspension rather than allow the Browns to circumvent. Now, I don't think the NFL is going to do that, and I guess they could always 
restructure his deal, but are they going to give him $1 million both years? I, I, don't, I don't know. But anyway, it was an idea or a concept that kind of made sense to me. I don't think the NFL will do it, but I kind of like the, the thought process anyway. All right, that'll do it for the first hour, another hour on footnotes to follow on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Game hotline is 706-0111-706-0111. Want to remind you again, severe weather warning. Could be winds up to 60 miles an hour. Tornado watch till 2. We've got a wind and flood advisories till 7 this evening. So if you can stay off the roads, do so. Anytime for the rest of the morning, all afternoon, early and late. Uh, bad weather. Schools have been canceled everywhere from UL down to high schools, elementary schools, all over the Acadiana area. So bad, bad weather either here in some parts of Acadiana already or will be where you are real soon. So um, don't um, take any unnecessary chances. Again, the game hotline is 706 we have decided, or I decided to finally stop putting it off. We are five weeks away from the NFL draft. The Saints, by the way, have um, seven picks in this year's draft, if you have not kind of got that in your memory bank there. They draft one in the first round, 18. They draft number 49 in the second round number 98 and number 101 in the third round, and 120 in the fourth round, 181 in the fifth round, and 237 in the seventh round. Obviously, when you have four picks in the first three rounds, that's pretty good for a team that has you know traded as many picks as the Saints have over the years. So um, we'll see how this drive goes in terms of a strategy. Will they... You know, I gave up trading up, but the Sears catalog guy is no longer with the Saints. Um, he transformed himself into Casper to Quitta. And so, um, you know, we'll see. I still don't think, I, I think the Saints draft philosophy will remain the same. In case you hadn't noticed, the Saints have made it pretty clear they don't, plan to change a whole lot got the same quarterback that we thought they were going to have before Casper quit they got you know many got a lot of the same coaches not a lot has changed and so I I don't really think their draft strategy will change it might surprise us but I'm not expecting it to change so if if they have a wide receiver or an offensive tackle or 
maybe even a safety like I kind of threw out. Kind of my dark horse position for the Saints in this draft. Um, if some strange things happen in terms of people dropping. And safety is a position that a lot of people don't really believe in drafting in the first round. I guess another wild card position could be tied in, and we'll investigate that between you know over the next five weeks as well, though I don't think they're going to draft a tight end in the first round. I guess it's always possible in the second round, but I, I wouldn't think so. The positions, by the way, one of the positions that most people, I think most Saints fans that I've heard talk really want them to pick is a wide receiver. Well, one of the wide receivers that I wanted the Saints to pick up last season or trade for last season got signed yesterday, and I'm like, why didn't they just sign him? And and maybe they just don't like him for whatever reason, but... I was uh, Jamison Crowder from the Jets is one of the veteran wide receivers that I I was kind of hoping, kind of a slot receiver that the Saints would pick up last year when they were so short with all the injuries at wide receiver and they didn't and and he was just signed yesterday so he's not on the uh, on the list. One of the very there's a lot of in terms of the wide receiver crop. Uh, I've seen drive mock drafts where guys have 10, 11, 12 wide receivers picked in the first two rounds. Like as many as like 12. That's a lot. So that means that theoretically that means there are that many, that much talent. Now, again, like I was saying yesterday, Let's just say, for argument's sake, there are 12 wide receivers picked in the first two rounds five weeks from now. Um, All 12 of those are not going to be good NFL players. That's just the way it works. If you get eight of them to be really productive players, that's that's really good. If you get half of them to be really productive, that's not bad. Not great, but not bad. So, um... We will see. So, which ones would the Saints pick? And, you know, one of the interesting things about this crop of wide receivers is I don't know if anybody's going to be as high on any of these guys as they were last year. You know, when the Bengals picked one, what? When did the Bengals pick? Like fifth or sixth, right in the fifth spot, maybe fourth, fifth, sixth. I forget now. I'm getting senile. But, and so most mock drafts that you see don't have a receiver going in the top 10 rounds, top 10 picks, I mean, of the first round. Um, But once you get to about 11, 12, they start coming on the board. They see. The projections are they're going to start coming off the board pretty rapidly. Like, there's going to be a lot of wide receivers picked, it seems, between about 10 and 11 and then about 50. And the Saints, again, have two picks in that stretch. They pick 18th and 49th. So, um, 
which wide receiver they will like, of course, they're not going to tell us. But there's a couple interesting factors here. One of them is the Ohio State factor. We all know the Saints love Ohio State players. They just do. And again, I don't have a problem with that because Ohio State's good. And most of the Saints, Ohio State players, the Saints have gotten, uh, have been good. Now, Ohio State was another one of those. Over the years, the Saints didn't have a lot of Ohio State players. I'm talking about going back to the 70s. And the ones that they did pick were not good. Not good. So for a while there, Ohio State was on that probationary. Ohio State and Tennessee kind of were. Tennessee's kind of really going on to this side with the free agent acquisitions that the Saints have made, um, especially uh, Z28. But Ohio State, with all the, you know, Ohio State's really come over to this side with all of the um, success the Saints have had with acquiring Ohio State players. So you have two of them, Garrett Wilson, who a lot of people feel like is the best wide receiver in this crop and will get picked first. Not everyone, but a lot of people do. And the other one is um, the one whose name I struggle to pronounce, Chris Olave. So uh, they're both about six feet, both around 185, 200 pounds. So there's not a tremendous difference. I I think most people feel like these are not gambles, that both of these guys are going to be pretty good players. So you have the Ohio State factor to consider. Then there's another factor to consider if the Saints are going to pick a wide receiver in the first round, which seems possible. And again, I was against for a long time. But because of the situation they're in and because there have been more examples than normal of first-round wide receivers um, being productive earlier in their career. I'm willing to listen. Certainly willing to listen. Um, and so, but the, the next fact, the first factor, as I said, is Ohio State factor. The next one is the injury frac- factor. USC's Drake London broke an ankle last season. And missed all the kind of, you know, postseason kind of stuff, workouts, missed a lot of that stuff. Jamison Williams, who ironically began his career at Ohio State, finished at Alabama, also suffered an injury and didn't finish his, this past season and missed a lot of the off-season, off-season training stuff and combines and stuff. So, how that will affect those two guys, I'm sure it will affect them some in the minds of some teams. But again, it only takes one. So if you're the Saints, um, if you're the Saints, do you pick one of the Ohio State guys? Maybe so. Do you take a chance on one of the guys who was injured last season. Some people think Jamison Williams is the best wide receiver in this bunch. I got to tell you, the one who really really intrigues me the most, like if you said right now, all these guys are going to be healthy, 
Which one do you want? I think I would take Drake London of USC. Read all, I read all the bios on all these players. The one that intrigues me the most is Drake London of USC. Now, how does he fit into what the Saints are looking specifically for in a wide receiver? I, I don't know. You know, again, uh, Wilson and Alave from Ohio State are both around six foot, which probably means they're like 5'10", 5'11". Not really short, not like midget short, but still not tall. Drake London's listed at 6'4", 220. He's one of these blockout guys. Um, And so... He seems to me like the best combination of size and open field running ability. Like, even though he's 6'4", 220, he still does a good job after the catch. He still has some elusiveness to him. Of course, and you know me, I'm not real huge at that. I like it on occasion. But I, nothing is worse than getting a first down and the guy gets tackled and he fumbles the football. Nothing. That is that is awful. You, you're all excited, a la Jared Cook. You're all excited. You caught the ball first down and boom, he gets hit. He fumbles. You lose the ball. That is awful. So I like yak yards, but as long as it's done carefully especially on a defensive football team like the Saints are now. So, again, London, Williams, Wilson, Olave, all interesting. The other guy up in that category is Traylon Burks from Arkansas, another pretty big receiver, 6'2", 225. I mean... How many elite receivers has Arkansas put out since Lance Allworth? I don't know. I don't remember too many Arkansas receivers. Doesn't mean this guy's not going to be good, but that was kind of the first thing that came into my mind. Um, I mean, for years they ran a wishbone when I was young, but a lot of people are high on him. I got nothing against him. I think, Again, if my right now I'm thinking Drake London. First of all, he's got a great name, Drake London, and, and and two, he's got size and he's not like a burner, but he he seems to have good running instincts after the ball. The other guy's a little bit of a of a um, wild card. Most drafts that I see have him in the second round, but some in the first round. Christian Watson of North Dakota State. He's 6'4", 208, so he's on the bigger side, too. And he's a guy that really shined in the combine and opened a lot of eyes in the combine. So, um, very interesting, too. Again, we're just getting started on this, but the wide receiver crop is an interesting one. A lot of potential options, and I would think that of these top four or five, at least two of them are going to be there at 18, if not three of them. So well, it, it's something that the Saints could get uh, kind of their pick of the litter. All right, let's take a timeout. 
We will take that time out, come back, and shift gears a little bit to some UL softball with our weekly interview with Bobby Nova. We'll do that next on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Are you fluent in footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Used to be fat. Used to be fat. A six-time MLB All-Star who got fat late in his Houston Astros career and stopped hitting, but signed with the St. Louis Cardinals, got in shape, and once again, hit. Also known as Lance Berkman. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on 1037 The Game. 1041 Lake Charles. Want to remind you about the Hangout Music Fest scheduled for Gulf Shores May 20th through 22nd. If you would like to win VIP passes to the Hangout Music Festival, you simply need to go to 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com, join the Rewards Club, and you could win VIP passes to the Hangout Music Festival. I don't know if there's going to be enough enough country music for our next guest, but if you want to go to that, again, May 20 to 22nd, go to 1037thegame or 1041thegame.com today. All right, Mr. Bobby Nova, how are you, sir? I'm going to be at a regional that weekend. <laughs> All right. Football regional. <laughs> So well, probably won't be able to make it. That is the plan, anyway. Obviously, we've got that. This team has got a lot of work to do between now and then. Don't have a midweek game on the schedule, which I think is a good thing. Um, you know, things have gotten interesting with this program since the last time this team played UTA, and they lost a game in Arlington last year, and um. You know, they, they've had some success since then, but also have had some disappointment in trying to get back to that level Coach Glasgow and all Cajun fans, you know, want to get to. Uh, and on Monday's presser, Coach Glasgow put a lot of emphasis on this weekend series against UTA. How important do you think this weekend is? Well, I think it's very important. I think the, the Cajuns need to uh, – we need to start getting some sweeps, you know. And uh, sweeping teams that we should be sweeping. So that's why I think it's really important. You're going to get a, a UTA team that, in my opinion, is uh, a little bit better than both Georgia State and Georgia Southern. They've been playing much better, you know, the last couple of weeks. They've got a win. You know, last week they, they got a big win over Oklahoma State. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a very, very competitive series, I think. And, uh, Cajuns need to come out and sweep this weekend. One of the way, you know, th- there have been a couple things that have kept this team from sweeping. One of them has been walking too many batters in the circle and or hitting too many in the circle and defensive lapses. And I guess you could th- say also um, 
not getting maybe enough runner hits with runners in scoring position. But this past weekend, they scored triple digits in every game. I mean, double digits in every game. So I, I don't know that you could include hitting on the last one. There was a hitting issue in the game that they lost against Georgia State. So what gives you some hope as far as with the new the lineup's been adjusted because of some injuries? How could those injuries impact those two areas that have been giving them trouble, do you think? Well, over the weekend, it looked like Coach Glasgow uh, – Tried to try to get a little bit more power in the lineup with Carly Heath, and then uh, put uh, inserted uh, Ari Canonis at third base, and uh, moved Jordan Campbell to second, which looked like kind of solidified the infield a little bit. You know, in that third game on Sunday uh, when he put Ari in in the first inning, uh, uh, looked like the defense played a little bit better. Looks like Jordan Campbell is a little bit more comfortable at second base than she was at third. So I think the pitching has to get a little bit more consistent, obviously. Uh, defense, defensively, we've got to get better, and we've got to do a better job of running the bases and, and not getting ourselves out of some potential big innings, which we did in game two against Georgia Southern on Saturday. You know, there were a couple of, of – uh, opportunities there to get the leadoff hitters on in an inning, and we just ran ourselves out of the inning. So uh, I think if we can get more solid in those three areas, the offense, you know, I think we had 41 hits in three games and, uh, you know, five or six home runs, and I think we scored 33, 34 runs. So the offense wasn't an issue over the weekend. Anytime you score 10 runs in a game, uh, you know, obviously we should, we should win when we score 10 runs. So that was a game that was that was a tough one to lose. All right. So it, could you see Ari playing some shortstop, or you think Melissa's going to do all of that? And where does Stormy fit into this defensively down the road uh, with some of these experiments on, de- on, on defensive positions? Well, Stormy, you know, she was in the designated player spot in game three on Sunday, and that may be a spot where she'll uh, – you know, she may just remain there at least in the near future, you know. And uh, may you could play – may you and, 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 and uh, Anari can both play short and they can both play third. So, you know, we may see one or the other at short and one or the other at third. So that's what I'm expecting, at least in game one on, uh, on Friday, you know, because, um, you know, I'm not sure that Langoliers will be back this weekend or not. I'm sure – She'll be reevaluated today. You know, they had the day off yesterday, and after today, they should should know more about uh, about uh, about uh, Alexa Langoliers. Yeah, Alexa Langoliers and um, Jenna King are both kind of um, you know under some you know they both suffered injuries to the head area this past weekend, and so they're. Um, availability, it may not happen this weekend. Now, the good news in the outfield is there's a lot of options there. And Kramer Eshtay's been playing pretty well. Do you see her getting more playing time from here, here on, for the foreseeable future anyway? Yeah, I think in the near future. And, and you know, uh, she's going to probably be the starting left fielder. And if Coach Glasgow continues to want to have Carly Heath in the lineup. He's he's got a good situation in in, in right field where he could start he can start uh, Heath and then um, Kayla Falterman, you know can come in and 
and uh, play some late inning defense. And I think that's a pretty good situation too. And, you know, Kayla can also hit. And uh, so I think we're in good shape in the outfield. And then you, you also have Sam Grader, who, who's in the mix in the outfield also, who, you know, we may see uh, as, a, as a primarily a pitch hitter in the near future. And and she got a pinch hit two run double in, on, on Sunday, and so, um, you know, she there was some talk a couple weeks ago, maybe putting her at first base. Some Taylor's been hitting since then after she got sick, and and so you just see her maybe as as a you know, and it's valuable. It's extremely valuable when you have runners at second and third and one out or something, and you got to hit her up that maybe is struggling or maybe is. You know, like a more of a Jenna King type hitter, maybe you you, you put Sam in to, in and pinch hit in those critical situations. Yeah, you got Sam, and you and you got Lainey Crater who could, you know, if if Lainey's not in the starting lineup, she could she can also fill that role. So you got two kids right there that could come hit, you know, come in and hit for a, a Kramer Ustay or a Taylor, you know, a Kayla Falterman or like you said, Jenna King in in RBI situation. So. That's a nice luxury for Coach uh, Glasgow to have coming off the bench. I asked Coach Glasgow yesterday, and the question that of you know is it possible that we all underrated how long it would take with a new pitching coach? Uh, you got a transfer from Kentucky in, you got a true freshman as a your pitcher, and and a veteran in Kendra, but a veteran that he had never worked with before. And one, you got to get personalities to meshes. You got to mesh. You got to get, uh, you know, understanding of systems to be second, um, you know, just a first, an instinctual thing, and and not be just still kind of feeling your way out. What what is your thought on that subject? Having seen so many all these games. Well, um, you know, having travel, I travel with the team this weekend for the first time, and. Uh, from what I saw, chemistry is certainly not an issue. You know, these kids really seem to get along and like each other. And uh, so from what I saw, and, you know, and I, I've been traveling with, with the team for a long, long time. So uh, I've seen some different, you know, things throughout the years. And what I saw this weekend is that the team really has good chemistry. Uh, in the pitching circle, you know, I, I've heard some things and read some things about, the pitching coach and pitching coach this and pitching coach that, you know, in the press box and in the stands, none of us know what the pitching coach or whoever's calling the pitchers is calling. And sometimes you got to hold a, you got to hold the pitchers accountable sometimes. And maybe sometimes they're just not executing the pitching uh, pitches that are called. Maybe they're not executing the pitching plans. And uh, I just think they need to maybe attack the hitters a little bit more and, because uh, we, you know, we're doing. We're not doing it. At times, we're not doing a very good job of of throwing strikes in in, in key situations. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I, I, absolutely. And again, my my question wasn't so much a, a critical one. I just think uh, sometimes it just takes time for everyone to get on the same page. And 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 perhaps we we over we underrated how long. And hopefully by the end of the season they do. And. Um, yeah, and that's probably a good point, Kevin. You know, I mean, I've always I've been saying since since before the season starts that the key word with this team is is going to be patience, and uh, you know, the fan base and, and and everybody else, we just we just kind of need to 
continue to be patient, and um, one day the light bulb is going to come on, I think. So do you think the real – other than – okay, the pitchers have to throw strikes. I mean, it, it, it just is what it is. But other than the pitchers throwing strikes, do you think that the biggest thing from here on out is going to be finding that right defensive lineup um, for the po- for when you get to the postseason, or what do you think that biggest key is? Yeah, I think you're right about the defensive lineup. And, and, and Coach Glasgow, you know, we've been talking about it all year. He's got a lot of options. And I think he's starting to have a better idea of how he's going to use all these kids and what, what, these, what their roles are going to be. I think you're going to get, continue to see a lot of kids, you know, playing, uh, whether they start the game or come in as, as pinch runners or come in as pinch hitters or come in as defensive replacers. I think he's beginning to get a better idea of how he's going to use his roster. And, and I think that's a good thing. All right. Now, I hope you weren't disappointed like some people in our area that the Saints didn't trade for Baker Mayfield yesterday. But um, you, you, you were good so with I that move. certainly not disappointed. <laughs> All righty, sir. Well, I appreciate your time as always. We'll see you this weekend. Uh, And hopefully the Cajuns can get that sweep against UTA. Yeah, and and don't thank me. Thank my wonderful boss, Miss Monica Mars here at Monica Mars State Farm in Youngsville for letting me do this on Tuesday morning. Absolutely. We thank her very much. All right. That'll do it for our Cajun softball segment. We'll take a timeout. Get back to this day one of talking NFL draft. Five weeks. It begins today. I'm going to talk all draft, but kind of kicking it off today. We'll get to that when we come back on the game, 1037. Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Old Tucktail. Tucktail. Noun. A former NFL coach who put his tail between his legs and went back to college, where it's easier to win. Also known as Nick Saban. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Talked to a little Cajun softball. We talked to a little Cajun baseball with Coach Deggs in the first hour, just to kind of keep you up to date there. Um, but we've started today with our NFL draft coverage. We've been putting it off for probably about a month. I mean, normally we're already into We've already had a lot of these discussions, but. For whatever reason, it just seemed busier uh, this year. And so uh, we're kind of kicking it off today, and we'll touch on it here and there. Be some days we don't talk much draft, and there'll be some days over the next five weeks where we talk a lot of the the draft. And um, we're kind of focusing today on two of the positions that most people feel like the Saints will be or guessing – or have a hunch that the Saints are going to be focusing on the most in the first round and really in the second round as well. And we talked before we uh, got Bobby on the phone about the wide receiver situation. There are 
Again, I've seen as many as 12 wide receivers scheduled to be picked in the first two rounds. It's a lot. You know, we have, you know, we mentioned six of them because I'm focusing right now kind of more on what do you, what I think in the first round. Uh, Dotson from Penn State, a little on the small, more on the, the, the smaller side, not tiny, but, you know, 5'11 type guy, 180 pounds. Uh, but some people have him going in the first round as well. Uh, some people are high on George Pickens of Georgia, he's 6'3", 195 pounds, or Alec Pierce of Cincinnati, 6'3", 211 pounds. So those are, um, you know, I don't really think the Saints would pick any of the in that group, that kind of 6 through 10 or 12 group on on most rankings. I don't think that would happen in the first in 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 the first round, but you know, guys also climb boards in the last you know, two or three weeks before the draft. We we see it every year is always somebody, oh, he was picked in the second round and now he's in the first round. Uh Kyle Phillips is another one of those wide receiver from UCLA. Um, so we'll see on that. The other position is offensive tackle. And while you don't see very many mock drafts that have a receiver going in the top 10, you see every mock draft has at least two, if not three tackles going in the top 10. Cross, Charles Cross from Mississippi State is one of those guys. Like, almost everyone has Neil from Alabama, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Iwanu or uh, Iguanu from NC State going in the top 10. Just about everybody you see. Some have Cross in the top 10. Some even have Penning, the mammoth offensive tackle from Northern Iowa, going in the top 10. Most drafts of the ones I looked at did not have Penning going in the top 10, but had him going, you know, between 10 and 18. Um, I've seen a few that have him in the top 10. And so I think there'll be more, more. I think two or three of the top five receivers will be there when the Saints pick at 18. Now, again, to the Saints' way of doing things, Let's just say the Saints agree with me on Drake London. Just say. Um, The Eagles have the 15th pick and the 16th pick. The Eagles did draft a wide receiver last year, but they still need wide receivers, so... It would not shock anybody if they use one of those two picks to pick a wide receiver. No one. Um, and so I could see, let's just say the Saints are high on Drake London, and he's still there at 15, them trading up a couple. To trade up one or two or three spots normally won't cost you an arm and a leg. So I could see that happening. Um, is it possible... You know, I've seen some people actually projecting that the Saints would pick Cross, the the offensive tackle from Mississippi State, who's 6'5", 300, uh, at 18. So is it possible he could go in the top 10? I think not likely, but possible. 
but very likely that he could be going between 10 and, and 18. Uh, I don't know, obviously, who the Saints like more, Cross or Penning. Again, Penning is bigger. Penning is known more as an elite run blocker. Cross's um, profile seems to think he's more of a, of a better pass blocker than he is a run blocker. The guy that Manny called about yesterday uh, from Tulsa, Tyler Smith, is a guy that some he's like a super elite run blocker, and so there are people that think they're going to move that that would move him to guard. Now you say, well, the Saints. A lot of people that don't like either one of the Saints guards. A lot of people don't like Ruiz. A lot of people don't like Pete. But the bottom line is, they're still on your team. Like I, I, I I'm. I still think you, in my mind, you have to keep. You got a new offensive line coach, so I think you have to still a guy you picked in the first round who's still starting for you. I think you have to hope the new offensive line coach can somehow get him to fulfill his potential. And I'm sure a lot of you are. Or just not, or you don't, you don't like that idea. I get it. I mean, I'm not saying I have Caesar Ruiz underrules anywhere in my drawer. I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just. I think you have to. He's still a first round pick. He's still starting now. He hasn't been so bad where he's not even starting anymore. And so I, I, I or he's not. You know, where you've released him or something. And so I, I think you got to see if the new offensive line coach can get him to fulfill his potential. And so I would be surprised if they pick Smith unless they're just unless the, if he's really more of a guard than a tackle in the first round. Now again, all of this tackle talk is assuming that the Saints don't re-sign Armstead. If the Saints re-sign Armstead, I don't think they're going to pick a tackle in the first round. But if they don't, I think it's it's very possible. So, again, maybe all this tackle projections are not going to apply to the Saints if they re-sign Armstead. Because I also think, and I don't, before we get to the break, I also don't, I also believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe the Saints are still pretty high on the offensive tackle they drafted late last season from Kentucky as a backup. And I know they like Hurst as a backup. And so, you know, the Saints' idea, especially if they keep Armstead, the Saints might be better off at tackle than a lot of us are thinking. They might feel like they're better off at tackle than a lot of us are thinking if they sign Armstead. And even if they don't, but uh, we'll see how that plays out. Seems like wide receivers in play, and um, they seems like there's plenty of good ones. So that could be fun. Could be a fun like drafting alignment is not a lot of fun for fans, but they draft a wide receiver. It's gonna be fun for fans. That's just the way that is. Chicks dig the long ball. All right, we will take a timeout. Come back with more. Finish out today's show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
Seven Foot is a walking, talking encyclopedia of New Orleans Saints history. No. Seriously. After that is 2013, which I call the Forgotten Saints season because in so many people's mind, the Saints' streak of good football ended with the Bounty Gate season. And it's not just recent history either. In 88, they finished 10-6, and six, tied for first place in the division, did not make the playoff because they got cheated by a blind official named Fred Silver who absolutely cheated, uh, stole a game on Sunday night in a 13-12 loss to the Giants with his either blindness and ineptness or cheating or whatever you want to call it. I think he was just blind and senile. We return to the man who's forgotten more Saints history than you will ever know. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Want to remind you, the weather, I was told that the rain has begun. The bad weather has hit us here in Karen Crow, and I'm sure it's either have hit you or come real close to uh, wherever you are in the Acadiana area again. Uh, the National Weather Weather Service is saying the winds could get up to 60 miles an hour. There's a tornado watch till 2 o'clock. There's a wind and flood advisory till 7 o'clock. So stay off the roads as much as you can um, for the rest of this morning and into the afternoon. Again, I don't know why it worked out. Just coincidence that it worked out on this awful weather day, but I decided... Uh, that today is the day we would kind of start our looking into the NFL draft, and we've done that. We've talked about wide receivers, offensive tackles, and even a few safeties. But in terms of, from more of a Saints perspective, in terms of overall, there are a couple. Uh, this seems like it's going to be a very unpredictable draft. I think, and you never know how it's going to work out. But I think this draft has the makings of being more difficult to predict right than than most drafts. For instance, even at the top, and again, we might get a little more clarity once we get close, but the top two or three picks normally you feel pretty good about I don't think that there are any number one overall picks, really, in this draft. So in a draft where your number one or two or three picks would probably be more like five, six, seven picks overall in most drafts, like that makes that very unpredictable. There's not, oh, man, it, you know, last year it was Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, everybody knew it was going to be Trevor Lawrence. So you kind of knew that. Well, that's not the case. You know, some people think it's going to be defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. But I've seen people predict Aiden Hutchinson. Some people don't like Aiden Hutchinson. Some people have him all the way down to eight or nine. Um, Some people have Neil at one. Some people have him at five or six. Some people have... 
Um, Kayvon Thibodeau in the top two or three. Some people have him all the way down to nine or ten. And so it's it's really a, a crapshoot at the top. A couple of other players to keep in mind anyway as we start talking about the draft more. Trayvon Walker, defensive end from Georgia. I've seen him in the top 10. I've seen him in the 20s. Like, they're all over the place with this guy. Um, Derek Stingley, cornerback from LSU. You know, in the early mock drafts, he was top five. Some people have him going all the way down to close to 20 into the high teens. And so... Something tells me he's going to rise back up as they get closer to the draft. But, but again, he, the difference of opinion on him and, you know, the last two years with LSU struggling and him not playing, you know, it, it's a little bit of out of sight, out of mind, I guess, with him. Um, and then the quarterbacks. You don't have definite people at the top. You have a bunch of, in my opinion, second and third round, maybe not even second round, like third and fourth round talent as your top three or four quarterbacks. And some teams are willing to pick third round talents in the first round. Some, including the Cleveland Browns with Baker Mayfield's ready to take first round talents, third round talents, number one overall. And so the quarterbacks make it unpredictable as well. So, wow. Good luck handicapping this year's NFL draft. All right. So we got the ball rolling there. Made Manny happy, if nothing else. Please, y'all be safe. Speaking in the mirror, too, with all this bad weather today. Let's hope we all get through it safe and happy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, Lord willing. Y'all have a nice one.